Hello and welcome back to the Macroball podcast. Thank you for joining. On today's episode, I'm joined by Macroball veteran Phil to discuss some early season returns as we have just recently passed the 20-game mark of the season. For me, 20 games is basically the earliest I like to go for uh, a sample size, a legitimate sample size at that, when we evaluate performance and project into the rest of the season. It's still not really enough data to dive into contenders and pretenders overall, um, so to speak, but it's enough time for me to see how a team works together on offense, on defense, whether the pieces fit together, if they need to make trades, if there's any drama surrounding the team, all of these factors. I think 20 games is a good benchmark. So without further ado, this is episode 26. Let's go. All right, Phil. Uh, well, let's start by talking about the in-season tournament. Have you enjoyed it? Have you hated it? Um, I know you're a Lakers fan, so clearly things aren't too bad overall. Um, but wh- what do you think about the tournament in general? Uh, I've really liked it. Um, I think it's another W on um, Adam Silver's resume in his time as commissioner. Um, but I-, I liked the idea before it started. Um, mm. I-, I think going back in conversations we had, I kind of just kept on saying like trusted until proven otherwise just because of the um the playing tournament like that was something that i was a bit hesitant with and i think most people were but that really yeah. won us over with the first couple no that's a um, great point i think it, it, you're right it's another w for adam silver he's got mostly w's uh he's he's like a 60 win team at this point like he's just constantly w's yeah um a couple l's but we don't have to go into those i, I agree i don't really have any problems with it at all i didn't really question it at first i didn't understand it but once i did i was like okay cool this makes sense you draw some interest and it's done that as it's intended to uh for a you know the middle of the season essentially or at least the beginning of the season where they i think there's a perception that no one cares early in the season or anything really prior to the all-star break i guess is where people have questions about the uh intensity level of the games and also you know you have the rest uh you know like load management guys and and people resting players the spurs are notorious for that so like a lot of that stuff um i think they've helped aid that uh narrative or that um perception and they've they've generated the interest as they intended to i'm yeah i think it's going to get better as they continue forward they're going to reiterate on it they're going to say oh we did this wrong we did this right mostly right i would say and uh, I think it's just going to continue to get better. They're going to make tweaks here and there. What was interesting is JJ Redick. So he made an appearance on the Zach Lowe podcast. Um, I hope they do it again because this is a really good pod. Apparently, it's the first time they ever did it together. Yeah, anyway, that sounds like a good duo. Yeah, it's really good. Um, Redick made a really interesting point about the timing of the tournament. So he said it might be better to have the tournament after Christmas. So because his point was in his experience in the NBA, uh, there's a lull after Christmas. And in his experience prior to that, there was like the early season excitement. So for him, and I don't know if he speaks on behalf of a lot of players, but I'm assuming he does. I think for him, the first, let's say 25, 30 games of the season have an inherent in- excitement and like enthusiasm about them. And then once you get to Christmas, there's a little bit of a lull leading into all-star break, which is usually like the first two weeks of February or whatever. And so he was saying maybe put it then 
I don't really have a problem with it where it was, but that might make sense. We'll see how the next chunk of the season goes, but yeah. Yeah, I don't mind where it's placed. I did think it might be a bit early um, mm. because now when it ends tomorrow at the time that we're recording this and then um, obviously Christmas Day games are big, but it's like is January and up until the All-Star break just going to be what would normally be this time of season, if that makes sense? Yeah, it seems um, like there's been a bit of a climax We'll see. Yeah, like it, it's not perfect. Um, like I, I do have a few criticisms. Um, I think my main one is the neutral, uh, neutral site in Vegas. Okay, it sounds like a good idea, but then that Pacers game in the quarterfinals, like that environment, like that felt as close to a playoff game as we'll ever get in the regular season. You're right. And then you get to Vegas, and it's just like corporate billionaires, and there's a lot of empty seats, and <laughs> the Lakers game had a bit of energy because it's so close. But the yeah. other game didn't really have it like that. That's an interesting point. I didn't consider that the neutral court was a problem. But you're right. The 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 games prior to that did have a great feel to them. The Celtics Pacers game was really good. Oh, that was electric, man. So I wonder what they'll do. Like, say in two years, this keeps going and Vegas has a team. What do they do then? Because then it's not a neutral site. So do they just yeah. play home in a way like normal? Like, is this just to get to oh. the point where Vegas has the reason to have a team? Because we yeah. know it's going to happen. Yeah, you're right. Um, I think you're probably not the only person who's made this. I think that's actually probably going to be a, a large chunk of feedback about it is the neutral ground, the neutral site. Um, I think you're not alone on that one. And I agree with you. I think they should go to home court advantage as part of the game. That was like, a, that was kind of a criticism of the the validity of the bubble championship where it's like, you know, in a in a real season, so and so team, like the, let's say Celtics Raptors, right? Like they played seven games, and it was an amazing series. But some people would argue that the Raptors might have won because they technically would have had home court advantage. I'm not going to be that guy, but like I get it. At the same time, there is the argument that the neutral site is a. It's almost like basketball at its purest, so you don't have the outside factors. But to me, that's always been part of the game. So like cutting that out is actually to me, is detrimental to the product. It, yeah, it is part of the game. And for me, it all comes from the entertainment perspective. I, like, I do understand the argument from a basketball standpoint. Yeah. Because, you know, the terms when we talk about, like, fighting or boxing, they always say pound for pound. Like, yeah. I guess a neutral side is the way to work out what's the best basketball team, pound for pound. Yeah, but that's right. you know, we're, we're, we're consumers of it, so I like it to be the best product available. Yeah. Um, I'm but the, the little criticisms, it's just nitpicking. Like, overall, the product's been good. Um, like you said, it gets players up and guys have been playing. I think this is sort of drifting off topic, but it sort of coincides with um, the minimum game rule for awards. Like, stars are playing this season. We haven't had any load managing. Like, some guys that are injury-prone might not play back-to-backs. Yeah. But they minimize back-to-backs now anyway. Um, yeah. No, so it's it- just been an incredible start to the season, all things considered. I couldn't agree more. It was actually like when it first, when the first games happened, I didn't realize this. I guess I was paying attention, but I didn't realize it was starting so early. So I, yeah. I agree with your point too, where it's like, oh, it's already started. Um, that surprised me. But yeah, I think they'll tweak it. I think they'll probably move it later in the season. I really like JJ's point um, because I think you can just let the first 20 games roll out because teams are trying to get to know each other. I mean, at least teams that are like where the, the roster is kind of new. At the end of the day, I think if they move it forward, it would probably make it better. And then they consider the neutral site versus home court advantage uh, factor. I think that's a great point. So um, we'll see what Adam Silver has to cook up and the rest of his team. Hopefully another W. 
let's talk about some of the injuries and absences only for a couple teams because there's been actually quite a few injuries. I have a, a running list. Um, but some of these I found to be the most interesting for a few reasons. So we'll start with Memphis, the Grizzlies. Uh, obviously, John Morant, 25-game suspension. Not ideal, as they say. Uh, he might return as early as December 19th from when I was reading. Um, we'll see what happens when he comes back. Steven Adams out for the season with a knee injury. Brandon Clark probably out for the season with an Achilles injury that happened last year. There was some optimism he could return around All-Star break. Uh, Luke Kennard had some recent injuries, uh, issues, sorry, with his knee. And then Marcus Smart has missed a few weeks with a foot injury. He's likely to return in the next few games. So they're 5-14 and 14 at the time of this recording. Funny enough, we both predicted they would finish fifth in the West. Uh, yeah. I, went, I went and looked at those. I was like, damn. Do you think Memphis is washed already? Um, <laughs> I do think it's too much ground to make up. Um, really? Okay. Because it's still early. Yeah, but if he's going to miss, let's say as soon as game twenty six rolls around, Jar plays, he suits up. But if they're what five and fourteen now, so they are probably on pace to lose two of the next six or whatever else they have left to play. Yeah. That is a lot of ground to make up. Like just to finish 500, they'd have to be 15 games over 500 for the rest of the season or around that roughly. Yeah. And that's like, that's, that might be a playing spot in the West. It's tough. I, I wouldn't deny that it's tough. Um, and I also, I underestimated how much of a factor John Morant's absence would be because last, actually over the last couple seasons, they've just been a winning machine. Like yeah. they haven't seemed to, be troubled by anybody missing time, including John Moran, who's like, you know, perennial MVP candidate. So that was surprising. And then, you know, th this new roster they've had, it's been okay. Marcus Smart, Derek Rose, et cetera. Uh, I think they also miss Dylan Brooks, ironically. Yeah. Um, whether it's the dog factor or just the way he plays defense, whatever it is, I think they've missed him in a lot of ways. I thought Isaiah, um, what's the guy's name? I'm blanking right now. The small forward. Zaire Smith. Oh, yeah. Uh, sorry, Zaire Williams. I thought he would fill in pretty admirably, but he, he's been okay. Um, he's still young. I think they can conceivably make a push for the playoffs, but I do think that, yeah, like John Morant coming back may not be enough. I think Steven Adams, we've had this debate in our group chats. I think he means more to the team than anyone realizes. I definitely um, underestimated um, the value that they'd be missing with him out. Like, yeah, I know what he's good at. I know what he does, but... I didn't consider that with him out, no one else would be able to close possessions or yeah. rebound on both ends like he does. Because he he's so good at what he does, but it feels replaceable. It does. I know. And it clearly hasn't been by anyone on the roster. Yeah, um, it, it seems like one of those things that is replaceable, but his particular sort of brand of what he brings is like kind of irreplaceable. Yeah. So... Yeah, we'll see but what happens with Memphis. I think it might help them anyway because they've sort of the last two years they've been in conversations around the deadline in order to pick up not any specific names but the caliber of player that's like a borderline all-star needle mover kind of guy mm. that ends up being a top seven, top five, top four pick. Yeah. If they get a little bit lucky in the lottery, even if they make a push and they jump from 12th to 6th pick or something like that. Um yeah, that can definitely point. change the trajectory of their franchise. Yeah, I haven't looked at the draft class, but that's a good point. There's probably going to be some talented guys in there. Um, well, they were linked to OG 
last year, right? And the Raptors wanted a ton of picks. Maybe you can, if it is like a top five pick that you can move, maybe save on some draft capital later down the track. And then Mm -hmm. that's more assets you have to make other moves and round out the roster. Like it could be one bad year to eventually fill out and have a really, really, really good roster. Yeah, I think they'll bounce back. You make a good point. Uh, One down year isn't going to be, it's not going to be like the norm for them, I don't think. I think they just have a winning culture. It's just been a bad season so far. For sure. Um, Yeah, an OG would definitely fit in nicely. Uh, I wouldn't complain about that just to get get something moving for my Raptors. But yeah, anyway, that's another story. (laughs) Um, So the next team I wanted to talk about quickly was the Portland Trailblazers. So uh, Rob Williams, Time Lord, out for the season with knee surgery. Uh, I think apparently that was over, like he was putting that off for a while and then he finally or the team finally decided to make him do it. Okay. Uh, Scoot Henderson missed a handful of games to start his career, which I always think is a problem for people, uh, for rookies. I mean, you're in this state of almost, I don't want to say chaos is a bit of an exaggerated word, but uh, it creates a bit of a dynamic for your for the beginning of your career that you wouldn't want to have otherwise. Uh, Anthony Simons has missed all but two games at the time of this recording. I think he just came back, okay. um, but he's missed most of the season. And then Jeremy Grant had a concussion recently. Uh, so it's been a bit of a weird one for the Blazers. I remember last year hearing Billups, Chauncey Billups, the head coach, say that injuries played a big part in the way their season played out last year, um, their last e- season with Lillard. Um, I feel like that could be another excuse this year. And I say excuse as in an excuse for Billups to use instead of saying I suck at coaching. Um, but that's another story. There's six and 14 at the time of this recording. Everybody in our group predicted they would finish last in the West. I actually think that was harsh. But I, when I was doing the rankings, it was kind of like Portland has to be the one and bottom. Like, yeah, even though they have talented pieces, I wasn't a huge fan of the fit. Uh, they have so many guys. It's like, let's. Let's. I need the ball. I need to score. Like score first. Worry about everything later. Kind of guys. Well, I think we all the- expected Brogdon to get moved as well. Yeah, and that's something that for it, like if they made that trade now, it'd probably be a negative return in the moment. That might net something in the future. Yeah. So it's kind of everything that's on their horizon is only going to make them worse short term, but better long term. I feel like. Yeah. So what I was going to say is like. Uh, I mentioned before about Billups. I'm not particularly intrigued with the Blazers overall. I don't like the coach. And I don't think the roster fits well together. Um, but I bring up the Blazers because I think this mix of injuries and their roster fit issues have pushed them basically firmly into the lower tier of the Western Conference. I think this is who they are for the rest of the year, even if they get like everyone gets back healthy. And I think they're going to be active at the trade deadline. So there's at least three guys on the team, I think, that are going to be in demand. First of all, Jeremy Grant, uh, medium high level scorer. Good defensive player, although I think since he's become more of an offensive player, like when he joined the Pistons, I think his defense has really gone off the to the wayside. Yep. He has a bit of an inflated contract, so I think that's going to mm. be discouraging, but I think he'll be in demand regardless. What do you think? Yeah, I think he's... It, it's going to be difficult because of the salary situation. Like, I mean, I always say if a team wants to get a guy, there's a way they make it happen these days, mm. um, but it's... He's a guy that can move the needle. He can put the team over the edge. But because of the salary that he's getting paid, the pool of teams that he can help out is not going to be as big as it should be exactly, based on yeah. his actual talent and productivity. Yeah. Because um, he's a talented player. Like he's, We all know what he does to contribute to winning. Um, mm. But yeah, that, that money is going to make it tough for a lot of teams out there. 
yeah, it's a bit rich for a lot of people's blood. Uh, the next player that would be available would be Anthony Simons, uh, I think, anyway. He's a shooting scoring guard. Uh, he's still young. He's on a reasonable contract. He just got paid last year, I believe it was. Um, I think some teams will be calling Portland for him. I think that they're going to make the asking price very hard to start with because of his potential and all that. Um, I wouldn't say he's like one of the untouchables. What do you think? No, I agree with you. I, I'm not opposed to moving him. Um, I'm, I believe in Scoot. I, you know, right. he's obviously not had a great start to his career, but I always say point guard's the hardest position to adapt 100%. to in the league. So I'm willing to give him two, three years to work it out. Yeah. Um, and Shane and Sharp seems like one of their guys. Like he's legit. I just Funny. having a log jam at the guard positions in such a young rebuilding team, like it can really stun growth. So I think you just have to bite that one and offload someone and it seems like he's the one that doesn't fit because he was sort of part of that previous team that they're breaking up to rebuild now yeah he was in that sort of middle ground that's like am i staying am i going he's probably on the way out um the last guy would be malcolm brogdon you mentioned him earlier they brought him in probably to move him on later he might be kept around as like a bit of a mentor for henderson for school but i also think teams will be calling about him too he's a i think he's a good locker room leader um i think he's the type of player that championship teams have on their roster off the bench um he can play both guard positions very well plays defense um he's on a reasonable contract i don't know like off the top of my head i don't know who would want him right now but there'd be someone calling about him specifically he's one of those guys right for sure and and that leads me to say like the blazers the only keepers i can see on the team you mentioned Shaden sharp i think he's a no-brainer yeah. um he has the look of an all-star for sure scoot henderson 100%. Obviously, look of an all-star once he gets everything sorted out. His shooting percentages have not been good, but I think nope. <laughs> it's. I think that's going to change and improve. Um, he's he's got that pedigree, man. Like when you watched him pre-draft, it's like fuck, this guy's so good. Um, yeah, they made the right pick, and yeah, it's just a matter of time. Yeah, and you know you live with that if it doesn't pan out. Exactly, and then DeAndre Ayton. I think he's just hard to trade at this point. Um, I don't know well, if a lot of teams would be calling about him specifically, so I think he ends up being a keeper for them. He's a good center, like, you know, probably the upper echelon of the middle class of centers, I'd say. He's at the top of it. Um, so I don't think they're going to move off of him. And last but not least, Duop Wreath. He's untouchable, I think. What do you untouchable, think? Untouchable, future MVP. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> no, but he's he's been quite impressive. Um, Agreed. He's kind of had like a seamless transition at this level like he just has come in played his game filled his role yeah it well, hasn't th- really looked bad at all no exactly at i think any point when he was playing as he did in the world championships i think he really showcased that he can he can handle a lot of big minutes even though like it's for his country and there's that inherent motivation to play like he did i think he proved that he's an nba player and he's proven it yeah. since obviously joining the nba he's his minutes have looked really good um, I can also hear, as far as Blazers untouchables, I can hear Joel somewhere yelling Matisse Thibel. Um, <laughs> I don't think he's untouchable, but I think he's good. Man, I wish they didn't bring him back. That's why I hate uh, restricted free agency. He mm. should be in Dallas right now. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. Aren't you the one that said, don't you think uh, uh, restricted free agency is a scam? Was that It's you? a scam, 100%. <laughs> you give young players the illusion of control over their future. Uh, and it just gets ripped away from them as soon as they make an agreement. It is pretty dirty in a way. It's just like I understand it. Yeah. 
I get that they want, you know, player retention in small markets and build teams organically and stuff. Control, even though the yeah. new CBA doesn't really support that, but that's a whole different thing. Yeah. Um, but it's just weird to keep guys trapped in a spot like that when everything else in the league is trying to become more player-centric. Yeah. No, you're right. It is weird. Um, we might save that discussion for another time, but I just wanted to double check that you were the guy calling it out. Definitely. That's hilarious. Let's talk about our most disappointing team. Um, I'll let you go first. My most disappointing team, I have this written down. The Cavaliers were my disappointing team out the East. Um, and out of the West, it was uh, the Spurs. Okay. Um, we'll, we'll go with one of them. Which one do you want to talk about the most? Um, we'll go the Spurs. Okay. Because they're a hot topic anyway. Yeah. I didn't think they'd be good, and I didn't think they'd be a playoff team. Right. But when they started three and three, it sort of started to look like, oh, shit, like they, they might be competitive. Yeah. And then they just fell off a cliff. They've lost, what, 15 straight. It's not good. The lack of point guard play is so detrimental. Mm-hmm. I think they already gave up on the Sohan experiment because he got benched the other day. Yeah, I saw that. And, like, I'm not going to criticize Vic as a rookie because he's got, like, we know what he's going to be and what he yeah. can be. But it's like, he just makes it so difficult on himself. Like, I should be more excited to watch a number one pick right now, but I find Spurs games really difficult to watch. You think Vic makes it harder for himself? Yeah, it's a lot of a lot of contested off the dribble mid ranges. Yeah, and it's he can make those shots, and I can see that being something he has in his package in his career. So I'm not mad at him going through those reps as a rookie in game. Yeah, but the way he can run in transition off a block shot, off a rebound, the way he can seal guys or get a lob if they're front in the post, the way he can make free throws if he's getting fouled because of how damaging he is in the paint. Yeah. He could very easily be averaging 23 as a rookie right now. That's what we predicted, right? I think. Yeah. Around then, yeah. And he's at what, 18, 19? Like, he's not playing bad. I don't want to make it seem like that. Yeah. But I'm disappointed because I thought that would be one of those league pass teams where you get really excited to watch them, even though you know there's not much else. It's just just a competitive team. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, For me, the like I said this on a previous episode of the... Uh, podcast i think this season for the spurs is just an experiment um i would hope that well there would have been a lot of hype surrounding vic i mean there was for a couple years at least once he came on the radar i was like oh my god who's this guy's going to change the league yada yada i think the hype is hard to live up to especially for a rookie i like i would compare like to use an analogy he kind of looks like a fawn out there like he's just kind of stumbling around and he doesn't have his footing under him and he doesn't really know like he doesn't look as nba ready as maybe people expected and that, that's yeah. not even a bad thing yeah it's that's fine he's a, a kid. matter of exactly it's a matter of getting used to the nba getting used to the pace how to play with your teammates like getting to know who your teammates are although they may switch up the roster real quick in the off season um i just think there's a lot in a short amount of time for someone who's yeah what is he 19 uh i was excited for him too i expected him to go kind of bananas i think he's hitting maybe he's hitting a rookie wall early i don't know if you believe in that concept but um there's a lot of things in play and i actually believe the spurs kind of are doing it on purpose uh not Mm. to hinder him but just kind of like we don't want to put too much on you right away i I said on the previous episode of the podcast like i don't think he has full freedom yet to be himself 
And that's also partly because he doesn't have the confidence. Uh, the team haven't instilled or they haven't installed, I should say, the the right offense that suits him and the right players around him. I think they're going to keep someone like Devin Vassell. Uh, yep. I think he's excellent. I think they're probably going to try to get a point guard at least. That's and, what they need. They need playmakes. Like Trey Jones is good yeah. in his production. But I'm watching these Wizards games. And I'm like, why is Tyus Jones <laughs> not in San Antonio as well? Yeah. Having Tyus Jones starting next to Vic, then he would be averaging the 23 that we're talking about, I think. You would think so, yeah. Like someone who actually knows how to play point guard. The so yeah. experiment, I don't know what to make of that. It's exactly what it is, an experiment. It's weird. Like I'm, I'm watching him and I don't really like see the tools or the vision. Obviously, it's pop, so I want to act like I know better. <laughs> but it's like, I don't know. I would like to be able to at least see a reason to justify it to myself. Yeah. The, the thing I'm trying to think of, are they trying it because is Sohan's sort of archetype not as valuable in today's game unless he brings something like that to the table? Is that what they're trying to add? For me, Sohan is like a, he's just a role player. And that again, there's nothing wrong with that, but he's being asked to do more than I think he's capable of at this stage. And yeah. so it doesn't look as good as it should. I think he's a championship role player, like a, I don't know how you like a, another kind of version of Draymond Green, I guess. Like he's not a, mm. I, I guess you wouldn't call him the point guard, but he can make plays and he's a smart, like he reads the floor. He can make passes out of the high post or the low post. Um, you can run pick and roll with him in a pinch. He's not a great shot maker, but like, yeah, I think he's, it's an experiment. And I think we're going to find that he just settles into a role as like a fourth option or a fifth option or something like that. And he just kind of does the dirty work while Vic gets to, do Wembenyama stuff yeah. probably next season. Um, I think they'll keep him. Like he's a really good player. He's just yeah. I think he can start on a good team. Yeah, just he's just kind of miscast. The point guard. <laughs> yeah, I think he's just kind of miscast right now. Yeah. And as far as the Spurs, the last thing I would say is yeah, I think they're probably going to move off Keldon Johnson, even though I like him too. Um, I think he probably suits a different team, and that would probably open up more shot attempts for Vic and Vassell. Yep. Um, and they can, yeah, they can maybe he's the guy that they use to get a point guard. Yeah, it kind of feels like when they got rid of DeJounte, like it's kind of just like you're too good for what we're trying to do right now and it's sorting yeah. in the way. Yeah. That's what I get at least. That makes sense, yeah. My most disappointing team uh, is the Golden State Warriors. Mm. So at the time of this recording, they're 10 and 11. That's 11th in the West. They have a middle of the pack offensive, defensive, and net rating, basically like, 14 or 16 rated in any of those categories. They're 19th in true shooting percentage. They're actually 7th in rebound percentage, which I was surprised by, but I guess Kevon Looney really is that guy. Um, they're still 2nd in assist percentage, which is a, pretty much a staple of their offense. It's on brand, yeah. Yeah, it's super on brand. Um, they actually had the 5th best preseason odds to win a championship. Um, I predicted 6th. You predicted 4th. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, it's still early, but they're disappointing to me because... I'm used to the Warriors playing good basketball. I know last year, you know, Jordan Poole, I don't, you know, they had all that situation happen with Draymond Green and Jordan Poole. And then, so they've moved off of that. And I don't know if maybe we overestimated how much getting rid of the Jordan Poole factor was going to uh, sort of free up their, like it's going to return them more to a, a Warriors mindset, if that makes sense, a championship mindset. I probably overestimated it. I'll, I won't speak for you. But to me, what's really alarming is from watching this team, no matter who's on the floor, like let's say the best lineup you can put out there is on the floor. To me, they just don't look as invincible anymore. Yeah. And I mean that even prior to getting Kevin Durant, 
Um, obviously, when Curry was in MVP mode, they just looked unstoppable. Everybody was on the same page. Curry is still a top three or five guy, depending who you want to argue with. Um, don't argue with Oscar Robertson. He'll drop him out of the top 20. Um, but Full some just- lift. <laughs> Full court press. They they just don't have enough after Curry, man. Like Wiggins yep. and Clay, their stats are down. Oh, don't get me started on those two. <laughs> I mean, please. Well, see, I'm glad you said the Warriors because I, um, I, I agree with everything. I just... I felt like that were the obvious picks. I didn't want to bring it in case we both did. Um, but I'm watching them and I'm like, what is anyone good at on this team yeah. except for Steph? Like, what does Clay do? Like, <laughs> I understand his resume and the reputation that that pay res- pays respect. But at what point are they going to be like, bro, you're not good at basketball anymore? It's That's such a difficult conversation, man. The Clay Thompson situation. Yeah. And then Wiggins. Wiggins revived his career and for one postseason run built himself this brand of being a Swiss army knife and filled all of the gaps that they had. He looked awesome. And then it's like, what does he do now? Like he doesn't score. He doesn't rebound anymore. We know he's not playmaking. He seemed like the perfect fit post, like getting Wiggins out of the, it was D'Angelo Russell, right? Yeah. Yeah. Getting that return for that trade, the way that they managed those contracts in that situation. Once Durant left, they did excellent. That was credit to Bob Myers in that front office. Um, at this point, Wiggins does seem like damaged goods for whatever reason. Yep. Um, and Clay Thompson, man, I don't know what to make of that guy. So he's paid close to 40 or no, he is paid over $40 million this season. He is playing like a $10 million a year guy. And then he's expecting a contract extension. So we're just going to get into this now. Like, I don't know what you're meant to do with this situation, right? Because there's the loyalty factor. There's the legendary warrior factor. There's the whole like Curry, Thompson, and Draymond, I would assume expect to retire as Warriors factor. How do you break up Splash Brothers? Like the most incredible backcourt of all time. Well, it's the uh, the rumors, right? About the Clay extension and the talk stalled because they're not where he wants and he's clearly delusional and wants a lot more than he deserves. Yeah. And there's, there's going to be a team out there that convinces themselves when Clay's available, like, oh, shit, we can probably get some some value out of him. And I think that's going to be what breaks it up. Because um, yeah. they're not under the Bob, Bob Myers um, regime anymore, right? Like, it's a, it's a whole new thing. So, there's... Mike Dunleavy. Yeah. So, there's... I get it, but really, there's no reason to. The only person I see them hold on to like that is Steph, for obvious reasons. Yeah. But under a whole new wave, it's like, if you want to walk or if you don't want to do what we're doing, like, goodbye to me yeah so to me the the key point about all of this um oh i forgot to mention just quickly give credit so they have had one of the better bench lineups in the league it's the starting lineup that's let them down and that's what we thought would happen right like because their starting lineup was still one of the best lineups last year and i think we were talking about it before the season we're like well if their bench was so bad yeah adding chris paul to that they should be great Exactly. And they have been. Um, And I bring up that starting lineup versus bench lineup because two of the people in the starting lineup are Andrew Wiggins and Clay Thompson. And I don't know if... uh, So you said that someone out there will convince themselves that Clay Thompson can help their team. I actually think that is going to be a conversation about Wiggins more than Thompson. Mm, Okay. And that's because 
So Thompson is expecting a, uh, an extension of some sort. I don't know if you can have a conversation with him and convince him that he's delusional. <laughs> <laughs> Doubt it. Maybe he'll just be like, I'm leaving the room. I'm going to sail with Rocco, whatever. I'm going on the, on the ocean. Um, but like, I think Wiggins is more realistic as a target, partly because the Warriors are probably looking to ship that off, like yeah. to, to, to improve that spot of the roster. I've liked the idea that's been floated around of Siakam and Kaminga for like a Siakam. I think that's the type of trade you make to maximize Curry's uh, remaining prime. Like he's still in his prime. He's still awesome. Um, if you don't do that, I think it's a travesty and you're you're not doing Curry any justice. The greatest warrior of all time. Yep. I think, and it might not be that trade I just mentioned, Wiggins, Kaminga, but I think that's the kind of move they have to make um, despite, you know, Kaminga Island is populated with people who are so like, they think this guy's the, the second coming of Jesus. I swear to God. <laughs> I I don't discredit that he's good. He's very athletic. He actually fits well in the Warriors system, in my opinion. People were talking about him being the second coming of Draymond eventually. Like, I don't see that at all. He doesn't no have way. that IQ. He's a good player, but he's not that good. No. I think people need to come off their high horse about him. And I think he's going to be trade bait. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's I think it's probably the right move for them. I do wonder if they'll actually do it. Um Yeah. It's it's been the conversation with the Warriors for the past few years. I think it was just delayed because they won the championship, obviously, so it's probably more magnified now. It's but it really feels like they're stuck in the middle. Yeah. Like you, you can't let Steph Curry go while he's on your roster and he's playing this well. There's like it'd be stupid to. Mm-hmm. Like we all agree with that, but it's like they're not contenders. So it's just like, what do they do? Like, do they just ride this out until they all retire and then do a hard restart? Because I feel like that's what's going to happen. I can't really see them doing anything else if we're being realistic. I don't think it's what they should do, but. Well, you made the point about how it's a new regime. So like Bob Myers, he has said this on a, I think it was a podcast or in an ESPN article or something where he's, he developed, when you develop relationships with the players as people, like that's where the departure from that as partners is difficult with a new regime like Mike Dunleavy, not saying that he has a bad relationship or a good relationship, whatever, with the players that are we're talking about being traded here. But I think it's easier for him, I'm assuming, even though yeah. you still have to contend with the whole like Warriors fan base outrage that's probably going to happen. When I was going to say, that's the biggest thing, right? Well, like, I don't know. Are we overrating that? Like, I just want to question that even because it is a thing. And I mentioned, you know, he Clay probably expects, as do Curry and Draymond, they expect to be Warriors for life. But realistically, like, that's the move. You have to try to get off clay. And yeah. that's how you, like, you, you almost have to talk to Curry and be like, look, man, clay's not that guy anymore. But we can try to find someone who is to help you. And clay makes it hard on himself, too, which is why I don't even feel bad. I've really liked clay throughout his whole career. But it's got to be the worst shot selection I've ever seen <laughs> in NBA history this season. Like, okay. It'd be different if he just, like, previous years, even the year they won. He he did his thing a little bit, but he lost a step. He wasn't as good defensively. The shot making wasn't as elite. Yeah. And you kind of live with it. You understand because of the injuries, obviously. But now it's like he'll come off like a floppy out on the wing. He'll catch it. He'll wait till he's being face guarded. Let the shot clock run down seven seconds and then shoot a turning leaning three over his hip. <laughs> and then I feel like I see him airball at least two shots a game every time I watch now. Yeah. I thought you were going to say, like, 
worst shot selection over the course of his career. But yeah, recently for sure. I was it's gonna disgusting, say, man. <laughs> like, there's people that have argued for years that Curry's shot selection is not very good, but it's like, shut up. He makes all the shots. It yeah. He and if Clay was making them, I wouldn't say anything, but exactly. Um, yeah, we're <laughs> it's not like we're uh, Paul George here saying that's a bad shot to Lillard, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> shots aren't going in, so it's kind of valid. Um, well, um, I mean, speaking of Dame, if you if you, even if you only want to spend one minute on it, another team I considered for disappointing was the Bucks, which is weird because they're like 15 and six in a top three seed. Um, I mean, they have been disappointing, I think they've yeah. ramped up recently. Uh, I think their offense is coming more into its own. Um, they're trying to get they're they're getting more on the same page, and yeah. Lillard's gaining that confidence. I think you saw, uh, or someone might have posted it that Bobby Portis. I think it was you actually, Bobby. Yeah, I sent that to you. Yeah, he called out the coach and the team needing to be better. And Adrian Griffin, the head coach of the Bucks, apparently was like, "Yeah, please call me out." Um, I actually think that's healthy. Yeah, uh, I agree. Bobby Portis is still a bit of a psycho in my books, but. <laughs> He's not wrong. Um, do you think that the Bucks have been like massively disappointing or just like slightly disappointing? Um, probably somewhere in between. I, I, like, I think there is definitely, from the product we've seen so far, I think there's reason to be concerned how they'd go in a postseason run. Yeah. But it's stuff that can be fixed. It's just, like I said, the offense has come together a little bit, but just the lack of Giannis and Dame actions where they're involved together. Like, it felt like it was written on the wall. Like, it was so obvious to play pick and roll with them, run some DHOs, and it's just so much your turn, my turn. Yeah. Well, that's what's interesting about, like, when you hire a new coach, right? Like, I think about, so you're the front office, and you have to go through the whole recruiting process and the whole vetting of all the different options you have. And then, so you have these meetings where I feel like that's where there's a tipping point of it's just a conversation and it's all hypotheticals. And it feels like Adrian Griffin came into the meeting and goes, this is what we're going to do. This is what Mike Budenholzer did wrong. This is how we're going to fix it. And yada, yada, yada. We're going to maximize Lillard, uh, Giannis, et cetera. But I don't feel like Adrian Griffin's that good of an offensive coach. Mm -hmm. I expect him, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the stats are totally opposite to what I'm saying. I feel like he's more of a defensive coach, but he hasn't even done the job there. And Yeah, I was going to say the... The persistence on trying to make Malik Beasley or point of attack defender and having him match up with the other team's best perimeter guy, it's mm. just weird. That's fair. I as don't get someone, it. As someone with Malik Beasley viewing experience, I think you make a valid point, yeah. I was going to say, like, I watched a lot of Minnesota when he was there. I watched the Lakers all last season when he was there. Like, I've seen a lot of Malik over his career. There's just not even a reason to believe that he could do that. <laughs> and I like him, but it's just like, where do you see the tools? Yeah, he's best suited to just be spotting up and don't put him on your best. Yeah, hide him a little bit. like <laughs> Exactly, yeah. Save his energy for shooting. Good point. Um, I still think the Bucks are going to get into form. Like they'll Maybe they need another Bobby Portis moment where, mm. or a, like a bad loss, let's say, uh, to really kick them into gear. I think that when you have Giannis, like we saw the Heat beat them last year in that uh, five-game series. A lot of factors in that, but I think that combined with, to me, the, the motivation of Lillard joining this new team, wanting to make it work, like I think they're going to figure it out. I think there's just a lot of factors yeah. in play. I think there's more positive factors in play with momentum behind them than there are negative things. If that makes sense. Yeah. No. Um. I don't like. I'm not selling stock or anything. I think I've. I don't know if it was 
in the group chat or on the last time I was on this, but like I'm not mad if teams struggle with pretty much a brand new framework 20 games in. Like, yeah, I think I even say like if they're 10 and 10, it's whatever, but it's you see the flashes of it. Exactly. Like if they were playing the way we thought would make them successful and they were 12 and 8, I'm not mad. It's just the fact like they've got a winning record, but to me, what they're doing right now doesn't seem sustainable for long-term success. Yeah. So it's like, I got to see stuff change, I but mean, I think it will. They might make a trade. I don't know what the trade is, but they might go hunting for an, an extra piece just to mm. fill out the roster a bit. But yeah, it's uh, it's been a weird one so far. Again, 20 games in. They're in the top three in the East, so it's not like they're terrible. But you, Yeah, like they'll, they'll be well off, but... I would have expected them to do better. I agree with you. Definitely disappointing. All right, most impressive team. Uh, you can go first. Who you got? The Pacers. Okay. But I think... Um... I think we're going to talk about them a little bit later on. So the magic was my other one. So I can talk about them. Perfect. Um, man, they, I did not expect such a young team to find their identity as a defensive team. Exactly. Like it's, it's crazy. And, you know, Paolo had a slow start. A lot of guys blamed it on fever and their legs being tied and stuff, but he's ramped it up lately. Yeah. Um, Franz Wagner looks like a legit second option. Mm -hmm. Um, no holes in his game on on the offensive end at least he does everything um their guard plays great their bench is great they got veterans in the locker room they're well coached like i can't say enough good things about them they had some injuries and gogo Badatse, who looked like he wouldn't have another shot in the nba comes in and he looks like prime andrew bogut playmaking as a center on the on the yeah. perimeter it's just it's a lot of good things it's awesome no they are an awesome team um i'm a big palo fan specifically I put in the group chat, I think Franz Wagner's uh, ceiling is probably like a Brandon Ingram. And then the mm. question was posed, like, is Brandon Ingram's ceiling, like what we've seen from him, is that his ceiling? It's like probably not. But I think what Brandon Ingram is right now is what Franz Wagner can be. Yeah, um, I think I like the, the super easy, lazy comparison with him was always like Hito Turkoglu, like <laughs> white, tall white guy that play makes for the Orlando Magic. Like, sure. So, yeah <laughs> same same basically but no uh i think brandon ingram is pretty fair um you know I like that very difficult to defend uh also not a bad defender himself when he wants to be but yeah to me paulo's the guy and i think he's a good guy to start with my questions with the orlando magic so it's good like you said good point they, they have an identity defensively the questions I have about them are always going to be offensive. And it's not to say that they have a bad offense, but are they going to be consistent? Are they going to continue to share the ball when they have maybe a stretch of games where they lose a few games? Like, are they going to remain consistent? I'd like to think that someone like Joe Ingles, uh, the legend, will keep them in line, whether that's with banter or with actual, like, you know, good feedback, probably a bit of both. Um, I was surprised, like you are, or like like you were that they found their identity. I actually felt like Jamal Mosley was a stopgap coach, but he seems like he's going to be there. Like he's the guy. Yeah. When they hired him, I thought he was the guy who's he's a tank commander. Like he's just going to be there, bit of an unproven head coach, and then they go out and they find a a, a proper proven coach. Yeah, it felt like a nothing move at the time. I think exactly. Um, but so I think he's fine, or I think he's going to be there long term. But yeah, my questions would be offense. And then their backcourt. So I don't know what's going on with Fultz long term because he's an expiring and he's been injured and he loves to be injured. Like that's his favorite thing to do. <laughs> on brand. Uh, it's super on brand. Um, I'm a huge fan of Anthony Black. He hasn't gotten enough minutes yet. Um, why am I blanking? Who's the other guy? Jalen Suggs. He's been awesome. 
Cole Anthony's been great off the bench. And he's on a good contract now, like a reasonable contract. So you can stick with him probably. So I think it's honestly the move is Suggs, Black, and Cole Anthony. Yeah. You move off of Faults. Someone will want Faults because he's expiring and he's kind of like a low risk, high reward kind of trade, I think. Yep. I don't know who that is, but I think my questions start with the backcourt. Do you think Suggs, Anthony, and Black, Anthony Black, is a good enough backcourt going forward with the trajectory of this team? Yeah, I think so. I think. Paolo's Paolo and France are your one and two, mm-hmm. and I think I think they're going to be as good as any one two can be on a team. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what I like about the guard play that they have. They they do what you need them to do. They know their roles. They're comfortable in their roles. Jalen Suggs, you know, his career didn't pan out the first year that he wanted it to, and he's his identity is just being a dog. Yeah, and that's cool. Um, Cole Anthony's a chucker but lack of the good variety um yeah. he just comes in and plays like that sort of jordan clarkson role i think anthony black's going to be one of the more high level role players out of recent draft classes yeah um for me it's just what they do with their big like i, I like what goga's been doing but i don't see a five on their roster that's like the long-term answer hmm. but maybe that's not what they need because they've got all these really good guys that we're talking about i mean i do like I do like Wendell Carter Jr., but I, I kind of agree with you in that it's not certain he's long-term. Yeah, like I like his game, but I can see him moving. Yeah, he's on a really good contract too. He's on one of the few contracts that decreases over time. Yeah, so right. That's a good get for them. True. But yeah, maybe they improve that. I have heard some chats about Paolo as the five. I think that's more of a spot lineup thing than a consistent. Yeah, I couldn't see it full-time. Yeah, you want him to because Paolo's just a mismatch and Franz is too to some degree, but Paolo's a walking mismatch. So I think him at the four is perfect. Him at the five in spot minutes again is if you're going to exploit something, you can probably also put him at the three and he just posts up a lot and, and overpowers guys. He is tough to guard, full stop. He looks um, huge out there too. He looks like a legit seven footer when you watch the games. Yeah, he's up like there. It's crazy. Yeah, they have a good front court. So. For me, it's just about sorting out the backcourt and then we'll be happy. But um, I think they'll move off faults. But yeah, it's a good pick for most impressive. I, I like you, didn't expect them to be this good this early and also to find their identity. So that's been really impressive. Um, and speaking of teams that, well, we, we did talk about them preseason. My most impressive is Oklahoma City. Mm. Um, and we did a whole episode basically about the Thunder versus the Magic, who has a better future. I don't think we found a consensus answer of like who we thought was going to be who had the brighter future. I feel like we leaned towards Oklahoma City, but I could be wrong. Um, but just to go over the quick stats here, they're 13 and 7 at the time of this recording, second in the West. Um, they've only really lost to good teams this year. They've lost to Denver, New Orleans, Sacramento, Philly, Minnesota. They're beating everybody else. Yeah, they're beating up on the bad teams. I think um, yeah. I saw it maybe half a week ago, so I don't know if it's changed, but they were undefeated against teams below 500 yeah that's all you got to do to get in the playoffs so honestly yeah like it sounds funny to say like beat the beat the bad teams but you have to do that if you're losing to bad teams like you're dog shit well yeah if you just beat up on bad teams throughout the whole season that's pretty much a lock for a playing spot yeah exactly um and the thunder are doing that uh they're second in net rating in the nba they're fourth best in uh Turnover percentage, third best in true shooting percentage, second worst in rebound percentage. So that's been a problem for them. And an interesting stat that I like, uh, they're third in basketball references, simple rating system, 
So what this does is it takes into account average point differential and strength of opponents. They're third in that stat. I think that's pretty good. Obviously, I'm always careful with catch-all stats or like all-in-one stats. Yeah. Um, but that's a pretty good one overall considering everything else. Like I said, second worst in rebound percentage. I think that's just a product of like Holmgren's, you know, barely 200 pounds. Uh, and they don't really have any legit bigs other than that. They're all young players. Jalen Williams, the other Jalen Williams is still young. He's good though. Um, Pokashevsky's not going to get you rebounds. <laughs> so uh, yeah, like I'm not going to get to this too early, but I think they can make a move for a big man. Um, what do you think about the Thunder? Yeah, it feels like the move. Um they they're really good like the i touched on already but the thing i'm most impressed by is how comfortably they beat the bad teams and they're competitive with the good teams yeah um they're better than i expected shay's you know top five unguardable guys in the league like his game just translates so so well and he's going to be that guy for a long time yeah um but i like what they're doing a lot i think big man probably is the answer i don't know who that is i think it's probably the archetype of a mitchell robinson type guy mm. um but maybe not necessarily him i don't think he becomes available anytime so, soon um but that's kind of what they need just a rebounder defender that closes possessions and he's low maintenance on offense yeah there's probably a few of those guys like sort of a javel mcgee or a mitchell robinson like whatever that might be yeah i think they'd rather go younger rather than, you know as opposed to yeah any super veteran guys um i do but- think that given their you know endless draft capital uh i think that they can probably find somebody like that in the draft and just build them organically or just build with them organically rather than a vet like you said it's a good point i think that what they go for and what i am most impressed by with the thunder is that they're kind of a so they're they're staple on offense is dribble drive kick dribble drive kick like everybody on the roster has to be able to create a shot or make a shot so you have guys like obviously sga uh Jalen Williams, um, Josh Giddy, even Chet Holmgren can take people off the dribble if he's uh closed out on because he's a really good shooter. And then you go down the roster, they have a bunch of these guys, Trey Mann, etc. And then you have guys like Isaiah Joe, spot up shooter, uh Kenrich Williams, spot up shooter. You have all these guys, they just fit well together. And so I think that if they did go out and get a big man, that would be to to improve their rebounding and spot minutes i don't think he becomes like a major part of the team i think their identity is the dribble drive kick and then versatility just in general and this is why like even though they have issues with rebounding chet holmgren was such a he's the perfect missing piece for this team insane and he's nba ready i don't know if you want to chalk that up to the the season he had with his injury last year spending that around the team or whatever um i think that's like important but i don't think i think he would have been nba ready anyway last year yeah like it certainly helps but he was yeah. i think he was already going to come in to the league with the tools to be a great defensive big guy like he's not just great for a rookie he's great defensively yeah um and offensively the stuff he does is pretty low load low maintenance whatever you want to call it like it just comes easy to him and he's good at what he does I think uh, Chet, like he's so he's third in the league in block percentage. Um, and just for the listeners, that's an estimated percentage of two pointers blocked while he's on the floor. So he's already one of the elite shot blockers. Um, for your information, Vic is number one in that right now. Um, I think, yeah, Chet, 
he needs to put on a little bit more weight. Obviously, that's like that's not even controversial. But once he fills out a little bit, and then his points and rebounds are going to go up, I think this team is going to be perennial contender because SGA Chet is such a good one-two at the top. Jalen Williams, I think, is the third option. So then this brings me to the conversation about Josh Giddy. Now the off-court stuff, I don't really care to get into. To me, he was already playing subpar prior to that. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that's a result of. Maybe it's just the fact that Chet is now on this team and it's like a, a change in the dynamic of the offense. But Josh Giddy has not been very good this year. What do you think is going on? Uh, I don't know what I could have credited to. Like the, um, the shot making from everywhere is just so bad. Yeah. And he's he's never been a great shooter. I don't think he ever really showed us that he's going to be. But he could finish well. He used his size well. He positions well. He got in the paint. He got close to the hoop. He could make free throws at a decent rate. Yeah. And it's just like the ball just doesn't go in the hoop when it leaves his hands. Yeah. I and mean, it's he's down to 42% from the field this year from 48 last year. He's playing five less minutes. Like I said, the injection of Chet Holmgren and a couple other things probably contribute to that. Yeah. Um, yeah, 11, 12 points per game rounded up. His assists are down. Everything's down over, across the board. Now, it's not to say he can't bounce back because he's 21 years old. Uh, but yeah, you know, when we talked about the Thunder in the preseason, I had mentioned that I thought Josh Kitty was going to be the odd man out, but I didn't think he was going to drop off. Like I thought he'd continue to play well and that would be attractive to another team in the event that Oklahoma City starts talking about trades. And so he was going to be the big sort of piece to move off of um, while making another team happy. I don't know if that's the case anymore. I think they kind of have to live with him for what he is. Hopefully he bounces back a little bit um, on the floor. But yeah, it's been a weird season for him. I'm not sure exactly why. Yeah, it's just like he's obviously a talented playmaker and the size helps uh, with rebounding and stuff as a guard. But as good as he is at those things, I don't know if he does it great enough that you, if the rest of his offense doesn't pick up, he can justify it. Mm. Um, I mean, the one thing is he's not going to get shorter. So like he's always he's got the size advantage. He can basically guard threes, fours, some fives in spot minutes but um so that's to his advantage he's always going to be a good playmaker i think as long yeah. as people are cutting and you know he's running decent pick and roll the shooting is definitely concerning um just briefly i i mean i don't think you can deny that the off-court stuff would be affecting his his confidence um i don't know how much of a cloud that's going to cast over him for a little while but uh just for the basketball sake i hope it gets better because it's not that fun to watch anymore mm. I mean, just as a fan, but uh, yeah, the Thunder overall, very impressive team. I think what they're doing is sustainable. The last thing I'll say about them is it feels like they're ahead of schedule, um, mm. but I think they've arrived. Like, I think this is this is who they're going to be for the next five plus years. Yeah. Well, before the season, a lot, a lot of like media guys and talking heads thought that they would be like legit like they are mm. now. Okay. And I remember seeing that and I'm like, really? Like, yeah. Lost in the play in to that good straight away. Like I, I saw at best like a sixth six seed. Me too. Um but yeah. yeah, like you said, I think they're here to stay. I don't think that I don't think the train's slowing down. Mm-hmm.